Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wacky wild world of tabletop gaming that we are kind of living in at the moment. Uh, it has been said on this podcast a million times that... We're in the middle of a, a wargaming renaissance. There are so many tabletop games that are just so good. Um, it's hard to know where to focus our hobby time and our hobby dollars. Um, so the purpose of Cast Dice is to really sort of examine some of those games uh, and to talk about the games that we know and love and some of the big you know, goings-on in the greater world of tabletop gaming. Now, uh, you will know from the last episode that we've been talking a little bit about Bolt Action recently. Bolt Action being a game that I pretty much play more than any other. Uh, but this is a particularly special episode. Um, we uh, have been uh, lucky enough to get our grubby paws on... Uh, some of the new rules from the new fantastic upcoming Warlord Games campaign book, The Western Desert. Um, and as a very passionate Desert Army player, um, I am really looking forward to talking about them today. Um, now, are we going to talk about everything in that book? No. Um, if you would like to hear my interview with the author, uh, Roger, you can hear that on the Warlord Games official podcast. That is episode six. It is now out on iTunes uh, and in and many other podcast sharing applications. Now, today, um, because that book is so big and there's just so much in the new Western Desert book, we couldn't possibly cover it all. So we are going to sort of chunk it out. Now, in the last episode of Cast Dice, um, when Lee Avery was on, we talked about the British rules, the new British national rules that you can use um, as an alternative to the usual national rules um, if you're playing in a desert forest. Today, we are going to be talking about a different nation, a nation that whose rules are sometimes... Um, maligned and uh, unpopular with some people who uh, don't always love them. Uh, but we're going to get to the Italian rules in just a second. We're also going to talk about sort of uh, a new breed of niche army that have that's been around for a while, but with this book, I think we're going to see a lot more of. And that's sort of the fast, raidy, LRDG-style forces. But before we do that, I should really introduce our guests, as they've been sitting around for two and a half minutes quietly. Now, you will know this first man as a regular on this show and many others that I am a part of. He is from the great state of Illinois, the bear man himself, Seamus. Welcome back to Cast Ice. Hey, Brad. Thanks for having me. Oh, God. I almost uh, messed up the name of your state there and... Uh, Without yeah, creative okay. editing, I would have. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> Terrible American. Uh, also joining us, but this time for the first time, I am very proud to have on um, one of the greats of Australian tabletop bolt action play, uh, a man who's been around since the beginning. Uh, he has been at almost every major bolt action event I've ever played with, played in, and I even shared a room with him at uh, the Grand Tournament years and years ago. He's also known for playing the LRDG, uh, quite effectively and has been playing LRDG armies in version one and version two of Bolt Action and will be joining us today to talk about the new rules. Of course, I'm talking about Jason Litchfield. Jason, welcome to Cast Ice. 
Thanks, Brad. Glad to be here. Right on. Uh, somebody's rubbing their paws in the background. Uh, you guys must be as excited as I am. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. All right. Uh, well, Seamus, what have you been up to, man? It's been a long time since you've been on the show. Uh, you know, basic hobby stuff. I don't know. I don't know if you saw. We got uh, sort of that challenge going on. Uh, a few others have kind of jumped on the the bandwagon there. The uh, hobby completion challenge, I like to call it. Mm. Uh, not buying any new models until after Christmas and trying to focus on uh, reducing the uh, ever popular lead pile that we all have. Yes. Uh, so I've been making some pretty good progress on that for uh, a few other games. Yeah, man. I've been uh, likewise doing that. Uh, I haven't think I've talked about that on the podcast. So yeah, a couple weeks back, I said um, I wasn't going to be buying anything else this year um, if I could help it miniature-wise, as I'm pretty much sitting on Smog's hoard of uh, toy soldiers, <laughs> as most of us are. Uh, but uh, yeah, and like you, I've been trying to finish some armies. So for Operation Hoff, for example, I finished my... Uh, snowsuit Soviet army um, slash snowsuit Finn army that I've been literally working on for five years. Um, and it was just really nice to put that in the case and say, done. Um, and yeah, it, and, it's... And because I know you're not going to bring it up, Brad, I will. Uh, and what was the outcome of bringing that army to the Hoff? Uh, a really well-deserved painting award. I think that was that was pretty fantastic, man. Thanks, man. Uh, yes, I got the best uh, best non-German painted for the event. Um, so this, of course, was a an event that was based. It was a narrative event. Um, one half of it was Market Garden. The other half was Operation Bagration. Um, so it was the Germans on the defensive, and on one side, uh, you know, the British, the Americans, and uh, I believe it was Polish paratroopers were attacking, and on the other side, the Soviets. Um, I think I was the least successful Soviet general on the day, <laughs> going one, one, and one. Um, but given that I literally spent 15 minutes, you were supposed to turn in three army lists for the event, um, one for 800 points, one for 1,000 points, and one for 1,200 points. Um, I literally did them all in recess. Um, I'm a primary school teacher, so um, I, in 15 minutes, I did literally all three army lists on... Um, on Easy Army and turn them in, um, which was fairly um, extraordinary because all three army lists were actually significantly different. Um, and when I got to the table, I realized I put Panzerfaust in my army, even though um, to kill up, you know, eat up the last couple points. Uh, but I didn't actually paint any, so I didn't actually use them on the day. Um, and I also mm. ran a Soviet force with no free squad um, and just based because it Amen. didn't fit. My motorized theme, everything in my army zipped up in a transport of some variety. Um, but it was just, again, I put everything I had painted on a piece of paper and I made an army list accordingly. Um, my bigger points list had an SU-152. My smaller point list had an SU-76I. Um, and it was just a lot of fun, man. It was a blast. Anyway, I'm not talking about my hobby, and yet I am. What else have you been working on? So um, I've been working on, uh, I did a crew for Ghost Archipelago, uh, which is a sort of a branch off of Frostgrave. Mm. Um, really exciting thing about that is uh, my son put together his first model and started painting it. So um, as a dad and as a hobbyist, it was a, it was a really big moment for me. Um, a few random other models. I painted my first GW model in uh, six, seven years, something like that. Uh, that was pretty exciting. 
but I also have an Italian self-propelled gun that I've been sort of working on for a little while and uh, started putting the finishing touches on that. And then um, I got delivery of those uh, Bersaglieri from Dog Tag Miniatures, mm-hmm. the Bersaglieri on motorcycles. Um, and I'm really keen to get stuck in on those guys. Nice. Now, hold on. There's like six things I want to talk about in what you just said. So the first GW model you painted in a lo- like in years and years was, of course, if you're going to go non, you know, bolt action or something fantastic, why not paint a Space Marine yellow? Yeah, exactly. How did that go? It was, it was actually pretty good. Uh, I had done years ago before I got out of GW games, I had done a Dreadnought in their third colors, and I was never really happy with it. So I've always had kind of this little um, voice in the back of my head that uh, was kind of driving me to go back to it and try it again. So, um, you, you know, when you when you wake up every morning and you see painted work from the likes of uh, you and, and Patch and Brian and, uh, and Casey and, and all those, it's just, you're really driven to uh, grow as a painter. So um, it was really cool to go in and do yellow, which is something that's always intimidated me. And I, I was I was really happy with the, with the end result. Man, it looks, that Space Marine looks rad. Uh, it is totally my style of eye-popping, uh, you know, <laughs> eye candy for the tabletop. Um, are you using one of the new GW paints for that? Or how did you get that yellow? Because yellow is one of those, like, bugaboo colors that people look at and go, good, not doing that. Um, because it usually takes 10,000 shades of that, or, uh, you know, um, layers to get to get the shade right. Um, were you using a, a, a technical actually... paint, or...? Yeah, I've got uh, on Averland Sunset, I think, is my base yellow. Mm. And then I do what I like to call the Brad-style uh, lining of all the washes only in all of the crevices and mm-hmm. everything. And it took me, I think, 72 hours. Um, what do you mean? And then I do... <laughs> And then, and then, what I like to do when I paint is I like to use watered down layers to get them to blend really well. So I've got two Vallejo Game Color yellows that I use mm-hmm. to uh, to highlight up to that bright yellow. Nice, yeah, man. It, it they came up a treat. That army, uh, sorry, that marine is beautiful. Uh, Thank I you. I looked at it and was like, oh god, that would take me six years to paint. Um, as uh, I was thinking, oh yeah, that, that's pretty good. And then I started repainting a few Gasland cars using the exact same method you describe. And I'm going, I'm giving myself eye twitches with so many colors to, you know, so many coats to co- over paint one another. Cause I've been painting white yeah. forever. And, and that lining was just, I, I, I will be brutally honest with you. Um, kill team is only going to require me to paint five more of those. And I really think that's the extent of, uh, how far I'm going to take that force. Yeah, I could not do an entire army like that. Oh, kill team though, man. It's perfect for that. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. Now, hold on. You said an Italian self-propelled gun, uh, which yeah. one, because there's a few awesome ones. Are you talking the one that blitz, uh, blitzkrieg miniatures makes? No. Uh, although I do have one of those. That was, that, I think that was the first Italian tank that I, that I painted up. Mm. Uh, no, I got one of the warlord, uh, the 75 slash 18. Simul Uh, the yeah. one that looks, it's like, yeah, it's like the Italian Stug. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was, uh, I had played a few games with my desert Italians and, you know, I went for kind of a theme force, lots of infantry, lots of, uh, 
small units and and of course most of my opponents realize all they have to do is take out a few of those small units and then um i'm, I'm on the back foot for the rest of the game so yeah um i painted up a little more i, I painted up the spg because it's a little bit more resilient uh, mm-hmm. it packs a little more punch than some of the other tanks yeah it it's a cool looking tank too yeah it is it really is yeah all right, uh, Jason. What have you been up to? Because uh, you've been quietly sitting in the corner. I know that you, um, of course, have your LRDG army, um, but I am not sure what has been on your hobby table of late. Um, I've really just been diving into a lot of fancy flight games, the mm. Star Wars uh, sort of franchise that they're working on at the moment. So I'm I'm very much into Legion, keeping yeah. up with the releases on that and buying a bit of everything as it comes out sort of trying to build roughly even forces for each side mm-hmm. um and i also decided to dive into armada as well um which is a little bit easier on the hobby time being that most of it's pre-painted yes but i still wanted to make life difficult for myself <laughs> by repainting all of the fighters in whatever colors i chose yeah. so I have lots and lots of tiny TIE fighters dotted around my desk at the moment. Oh, man, those are so much fun to paint. But, man, it takes up time, and it takes a very fine brush. Yeah, it certainly does. Um, So, yeah, that's been my main focus. Um, I've been building a small strike team for Dead Zone, um, Mm. Mantic Dead Zone. So it's uh, sort of a little – for those who don't know, it's like a futuristic kind of – sci-fi gang warfare type skirmish game um where your force is only sort of 10 models or so and the mm-hmm. table's very small and it's very compact um but it's it's a lot of fun um the models are, are pretty good and very affordable so yeah it's a nice little project on the side yeah, Mantic, I mean, we don't talk about Mantic a ton on this podcast. I mean, I, I think the big Mantic games we tend to talk about are like Kings of War. Uh, but, mm. man, Mantic does make some sweet rule sets, and they are always affordable. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, a big draw for me is I always lo- enjoy those smaller skirmish games like you guys were talking about with mm. Kill Team, just that accessibility of being able to just knock together less than 10 models and get some games in is just is, is really great when you're crunched for hobby time. Now, is is something like is that game is Dead Zone more like like a Malifaux? Like, even though you have ten models, you're gonna be playing it for two hours, or is it more like a kill team where you could get maybe two to three games in in that time? It's pretty quick. Um, it, it plays really quickly, um, and you can easily sort of get two or three games in in a row. And it's obviously got a progression system involved as well. So there's also a little bit of continuity there with upgrades and equipment and that sort of thing so yeah. um yeah it's, it's a good sort of small game but something you can really get into over a longer period of time nice yeah i do like that games like that i mean there are just so many good games like that at the moment i mean seamus mentioned Frostgrave earlier and that has a reputation mm. for that um i was listening to casey on paint all the minis and he was talking about saga and a bunch of other games i was thinking yeah that's great yeah that's great oh so many good games um and yeah man there's uh too many good games to play which i guess is the purpose of this podcast 
Absolutely. Well, let's talk about some of the stuff that's been coming out because um, particularly around bolt action, there have been so many great models that have come out recently um, from a bunch of different companies. I mean, clearly Warlord's been on the offensive with its um, Desert War catalog. Um, and I know I talked about that uh, on the most recent Warlord cast, but having an actual physical catalog that, you know, I can, like as a kid, when I, you know, come Christmas time, you'd open the catalog and like circle things and like hand it to your parents and be like, and not so subtly say, have you seen the toys that are coming out for Christmas? Um, <laughs> to be able to look at a, a toy catalog full of the stuff that I want to see again. Um, you know, I guess I've been online shopping for too long it has been like really nice to actually open a catalog and go oh yeah this is good um like the old gw bit catalogs they're just so much fun to flip through oh wow yeah yeah right um yeah yeah that's the memories right there yeah <laughs> um so i'm looking looking at this warlord book full of stuff going oh and then they added new terrain from sarissa um, there's a, a lot of new desert buildings in there that doesn't look anything like a lot of the desert buildings that you usually get on desert boards. Um, but you also get new, you know, mats. There's the all the new DAC stuff, all the new Eighth Army stuff. Um, it's just there's so much good stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do they um, do they have a picture of those new uh, desert uh, kit Falschmjäger that they were just talking about? So those were those posted well? on their website, um, but I don't know if they're actually. That's a really good question. Um, I think the box art is. I don't. Oh. Yeah, just the box art. They didn't show yeah. the pictures and the models until uh, this week's um, uh, newsletter uh, email newsletter. Right. But God, those look yeah. good, right? They really do. They really do. So Unfortunately, many. I'm, yeah. And I'm not going to lie. You're talking about the Sarissa kits. Uh, they do that. Uh, I think they call it the El Alamein mm-hmm. train station. Yeah. Uh, I think I really want to get that for my desert table. Yeah. It, it's simple, but it adds just a, a, enough flavor to the table to make it look like a semi-civilized area in the middle of the desert. I think it's a, it's a really cool kit. Agreed. And plus, it's cool. I mean, it's it's nice and long, so you can put it in the middle of a table. And it, um, just from a right. gameplay standpoint, it'll block some line of sight. But it also gives yeah. you something that your you know your little men are fighting over on the tabletop. Um, and in otherwise, you know, I mean, sure, there's sand dunes and rocks and mountains and whatnot <laughs> um, on the tabletops as far as desert warfare. But this is a really nice line blocking bit of terrain that you can slap down. So. Man, I'm looking at it very seriously. It's a very nice kit. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, man. So, uh, but also talking Falschmjäger, there's um, what, Here46 has a Kickstarter that's just spooling up. Have either of you guys seen that, Seamus? Yeah, I, uh, I've been watching Here46 for f- quite a few years. Um, uh, and I think these are some of the best models that he's done yet. Uh, they, they, they look really good. Yeah, man, they the models look really tasty. I've got um, a couple of their vehicles and the Star Wars Legion, uh, the little reptile guy from uh, Rogue One. They did a model of that guy, so I got him as well. And uh, yeah, the casting on it was great. Um, a little pricier than some of the other stuff, uh, but really, really nice quality. So yeah. yeah, good stuff. Jason, have you seen any of this stuff? 
Uh, yeah, well, I already have a fairly extensive Forschenjäger army from offensive miniatures, mm. uh, but but those, the, the Hier 46 models look fantastic. Yeah. Um, I've got a couple of their conversion kits for vehicles already. I picked mm. up the, the Kugelblitz turret for the Panzer IV mm-hmm. and the, um, the Burger Panther, the Recovery Panther yes, sort right. of turret conversion, um, which is an odd vehicle but i love it it's it's so strange and so unusual and i feel like i just want to play it just for the sake of it yeah it's, right um, it's such a weird vehicle but i love it plus an auto cannon and who doesn't love auto cannons right yeah, yeah. seriously i love me some auto cannon <laughs> uh i recently when i thought i was playing germans at um operation hoff before i switched to soviets uh, I converted a multi-air to have one of the Warlord heavy autocannons um, on the bed. Nice. I have got to paint that truck. Um, it just yeah. looks like a lot of fun. I cut the sides and back off um, and then rebuilt them with Plasticard to, um, so it was nice and smooth edge um, because I was mm-hmm. using um, you know, a resin kit and it didn't break evenly. So I rebuilt it all and then cut the the legs, um, the supports of the autocannon down so it fit in the bed. Um, but I recut yeah. it so that it looked like it had been bolted into the bed, and that's what the pictures of what I look like, of what I saw online look like. Um, and there's a couple yeah. people who said, well, you can't, that didn't happen in real life, and, and I got to play my <laughs> finest, I think you'll find. Um, turns out it did. Uh, it did occur, yep. and it's in the rule book. It's in the, sorry, the Germany book. There is a truck that has a heavy autocannon in the bed. Um, yep. So, yeah, I'm really excited to put that on the tabletop because um, hashtag autocannons are awesome. They were awesome in version one. They're even better in version two. Oh. True story. Yep, yep. Well, um, what else? Um, oh, yeah, of course. I knew there was something I really wanted to talk about. While we're talking paratroopers, um, for years, and Seamus, I, de- I definitely need to ask you about your thoughts on this. Um, th- I've been looking for Japanese paratroopers. I've wanted to do a Japanese paratrooper army for literally since um, the first Japanese book came out, and I saw the entry in there, and I started reading about the Japanese paratrooper raiders. Um, now I was going to convert a whole army out of the warlord plastic ones, um, plastic, regular (laughs) Japanese infantry, but that would have involved a lot of sculpting of pouches. Um, now 10 years of your life. Yeah. And as a guy who once, uh, sculpted from scratch, 24 trolls, um, let me tell you, I'm not in the mood to do that right now. Now I'm not saying that isn't going to happen. I have all the bits and pieces, I have, uh, and thanks to uh, some local players, uh, one in particular, thanks, John, um, I have enough submachine guns to actually do that. Um, And I was very excited. But then I just realized how little hobby time I have in my life at the moment. And right about that time when I was feeling a little glum about not being able to do that project, uh, Company B, now we've talked about Company B doing... Japanese paratrooper models for a long time. They've been sneaking pictures into their feed, um, their little, uh, what is it, a blog of their progress um, on and off for two years, uh, maybe longer. And, uh, you know, it started with one model, then they posted another one, and then you would get like six months of silence. And you were going, and I'd always email them and say, hey, if you happen to happen to do these, hi, I'm over here, uh, if you could let me know. And 
amazingly, randomly, one day at work, my phone pings and it's company B saying, hey, you know, like six months ago when I when you said you were interested, um, I'm putting them up on the store in an hour. And I went, oh, my God, and uh, logged on. And it was not I was expecting two or three blisters. No, it's an entire army, including submachine gun troops, multiple kinds of rifle blisters, um, headquarters models. Uh, other characters, so like uh, suicide bomb guys, flamethrower guys, there's a machine gun team, there's a mortar team, there's an anti-tank gun, there's a howitzer, like you name it, man, it's the full range, like an entire army of paratroopers. But wait, there's more. They also did at the same time the entire naval paratrooper Japanese army, literally at the same time. They dropped two entire armies worth of models and they're different at the same time so it's pretty awesome yeah um that may have been the straw that broke the camel's back as far as me saying i i need to not buy any more models because um (laughs) i i did literally buy an entire army of those guys um so that arrived and they look great and i'm looking at literally a small mountain a pyramid of little Rectangle, rectangular boxes on the edge of my hobby table as we speak, thinking, oh, God, I want to do those. Um, but now that I'm reading the desert book that we're about to talk to, oh, my God, do I want to do desert Italian paratroopers as well. So yes. we'll get to that. Seamus, have you seen these models? What are your feelings about Japanese paratroopers? And are you as excited as I am? I think uh, I think they're really stellar sculpts. Um Company B hasn't had the best reputation in the past. I think, uh, I think they've really, really gone to a new level with these these models. I think yeah. they look really good. Um, they're really cool. There, there are some specific battles that you can fight now that you weren't able to before mm-hmm. with uh, with those models, um, especially with Conflict Forty Seven. Uh, you know, they're the the paratroopers are are ripe for that setting. Uh, right. I think that would be really cool. man. And one of the things um, that I love about this is they really took their time. I mean, it it, kind of looks like, bam, it all came out at once. But how many years, as someone who who has been following since that first post went up with one model, and it was green stuff, I was going, all right, where is this? And it literally was years. They took their time, and it shows. It isn't, this isn't a half-ass rush job. Um, so yeah, I'm really pleased. Uh, Jason, have you had a chance to look at these? Yeah, yeah, they look um, they look really nice, and it's it's uh, it, it'll be nice to have another way to play the Japanese as well. Yeah. Um, there tends to be a, a couple of sort of archetypes of how you play the Japanese, and just mm-hmm. to have that extra option will be really great. Yeah, I've been trying to bust that mold. Um, so I sold off my original Japanese army and then uh, Patch helped me paint the, because I built one entirely, a great coat army for Manchuria, built out of mm. the, um, the Warlord plastic Soviet models and I used a ton of Warlord um, Japanese bits and I sort of kitbashed and I used arms from German models. Basically, it was a, sort of a celebration of Warlord's plastics um, with some metals <laughs> thrown in. Um, and it was just to get it all on because I was just like, I need more rifle arms. Oh, I've got some yeah. German rifle arms right here. Let me use those. Um, and some Soviet rifle arms. So if you look carefully, 
<clears throat> the rifles may not all be Japanese, <clears throat> but um, <laughs> if you're gonna, I think you'll find me with the rifles. I'm, with the amount of time I put into building that army, I, I'm sorry, I don't care. I wanted variation in my forces. Right. Uh, right. A rifle is a rifle, guys. Um, to, to be fair, Arasakas are long, but um, I I wanted some anyway. I love the army, um, but with that army, I was able to take different tanks, different artillery pieces, um, you know, different squad composition. I went with you know a regular army. We're not talking a million yeah. screaming peasants, um, you know, coming out of the woodwork with um, half starved with bamboo poles. Um, nor are we talking like veteran jungle fighters. I wanted just a regular force of, you know, battle hardened Japanese, regular soldiers. Um, and yeah. you just don't see those very often. Right, Jason? No, no. Um, I actually have a, an SNLF force myself mm. um, based nice. around Milne Bay. Nice. So it's, it, that's one of the, the lesser seen ones as well is it does tend to fall into that if somebody wants to be really competitive you just take all of these guys with bamboo poles or you know it Jap japan seems to be sort of typecast as this you have to banzai you have to charge all the time it's yeah. a close combat army and there's a certain way to build it but really there's a lot of variety there and having those extra models available is is just going to be good for that variety and being able to just play the nation in a different way yeah, man. Uh, Luke Emerton turned me on to Shapeways for some of the um, sort of out there Japanese artillery pieces. And you can get, mm. not to be confused with an 88, the Type 88 um, anti-aircraft gun that the Japanese used. Um, it's a heavy yeah. AT gun. And you can take it in mm -hmm. a Japanese army. And it's in, the, the rules for it are in Empires and Flames. And it, I'm just adding one of those to my army, so much fun. Um, there's a Tamiya yeah. artillery uh, tractor that you can use to actually get it on the table. And just going just mm. slightly left field, um, you can really add some awesome options to that army that you just normally wouldn't see on a bolt-action tabletop. Yeah, definitely. Right on. Well, let's, I mean, there's just so many good things to talk about, but I think we should <laughs> probably focus on uh, what I think the folks i'm hearing the internet yell at me um we should probably get on with it um so gentlemen uh let us start with shall we start with the italians today uh, i'm okay with that all right jason you okay to save the lrdg for last i will hold my breath there you go well you're you're gonna be part of this as well so um sure. if just to give a little preamble the Italian rules originally came out in the Armies of Italy and the Minor uh, Axis Powers book. And in that book, of course, we got rules for Finns, and we got Hungarians and Romanians and uh, Bulgarians and a whole bunch of other Ians. Um, but one of the things that that book uh, put forward was a set of Italian national rules that were... Um, they were, I mean, some of them were great. Some of them were very good. Um, but there was a rule called Avanti Savoia, which was if you're ahead in kill points at the end of a turn, and I'm just paraphrasing this, um, you get a plus to your morale. If you are behind in kill points by, you know, a two, I believe, um, you act, or maybe three, um, you, three, yeah. it's three, you take a hit to your morale. So you actually start taking minuses. 
Now, this has always been seen by, well, not always, but some people see this as a very uh, potentially negative rule because it means that if you are trying to fight your way back playing Italians, you're going to struggle because your troops are less likely to pass their um, morale checks. They're less likely to pass their order checks. Um, They're just going to start disappearing or running away or going down. And it, it makes for an occasionally frustrating gameplay experience. And it gives people, how do I say, the feel-badsies. And (laughs) no one likes that. And it it has led to um, some internet communities or some local bolt-action communities to uh, there being a a negative attitude toward Italians. Um, Now, the Italians have some great units, and they have some wonderful uh, vehicles. But... The national rules are often, it often leads to some people being put off. Uh, I was listening to a another Bolt Action podcast recently, and they can, they were talking about the polls, uh, and they said something along the lines of, "Yeah, these you know these national rules are pretty basic. They're good." I believe they then talked about the Norwegians, but then in the process of talking about those two lists, which are deemed to have you know fairly basic rules. They then compared them to the Italians and said, oh, yeah, nothing's worse than the Italians. And you go, ouch, that hurts. Um, As an Italian player, I can understand that, though. So a lot of people have talked about for a long time the need for new Italian national rules. So Conflict 47 rolls around. uh, Avanti Savoia was modified and the negative was taken away. And a lot of people were very excited about that, me being one of them. Uh, It means that when I play Conflict 47, my Italians are um, less likely uh, to run away or to not do what I'd like. Um, Minimizes the feel-badsies. But with this new Western Desert book, we get a new possible way of playing the Italians. Now, we get a new set of national rules, and these completely replace the old set. So whether you liked all of those rules or not, these completely replace them. Now, if you want to hear the author's reasoning for this, you can listen to the Warlord podcast episode number six, uh, where I interview Roger, and he explains why, um, in some detail, why he chose the new national rules in, you know, sort of line by line. I will not repeat that. Um, you can go back and listening to there. But what we're going to do today is we're going to look at these rules as a whole and sort of discuss their impact on the tabletop. Uh, now, I'm going to stop talking. Um, gentlemen, do you have the document in front of you to discuss the rules? Yes. Yes. Seamus, um, wh- let's talk about Avanti. What is it and what does it do? It's kind of uh, you. You can see it's got its roots in the Avanti Savoya rule from the last edition. Yes. Um, but I, I can see I, I haven't had the chance to listen to the Warlord cast yet. But I'm really keen to hear what Roger said. Uh, I can really see. Uh, I think he and I have read some of the same books. I can see where he got the inspiration for a lot of these rules. So um, rather than you know uh, the three dice down or three dice up you've got that morale impact the new avanti rule is italian infantry units may re-roll failed order tests to advance or run if the italian player is currently winning the game 
using victory points. So it's um, it takes like a part of the old Avanti Safoy rule and uh, just makes it a simple uh, a re-roll now instead of that massive minus two penalty. Now, I have heard a few people online say, once they've heard about this rule, say that, oh, it slows down gameplay because you have to keep track of kill points. Um, it may be sometimes in objective missions where you wouldn't normally. Um, however, I, as someone who's played Italians, you, you're just used to it. Um, it doesn't add that much time. Seamus, would you agree with that? I would, and to be quite honest, most games I've played, you're always keeping track of uh, at least kill points, which certainly mm -hmm. factor into most victory conditions in the game. So, yeah. I mean, uh, almost every game I've played, my opponent has a, a stack of dice off to the side. You know, here's your kills and here's my kills. So uh, I don't I don't see it slowing down the game at all. Right. Would you agree, Jason? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's one of the things you just keep track of during the game anyway. So maybe it'll just encourage people who don't normally to do it. But I think there's a lot of guys out there when they're playing, it's just natural to have that tally running in the background. Mm -hmm. I do. I usually keep a set of dice off to the side um, that I mm. sort of keep track just so I can visually keep track of how my forces are going. Um, and that sort of helps me to keep track of um, because, you, you know, you have a certain number of dice in the bag and your opponent has a certain number of dice in the bag. It's always good to sort of keep that ratio roughly in your head. Are they ahead? Am I ahead? Not necessarily yeah. to, ooh, did I kill more opponent, you know, dice than my opponent, but do I have more dice in the bag? Am I more likely to get that dice next? Of course, the bolt yeah. action gods laugh at us and often we don't get the <laughs> dice, even if there's like six of their dice and, the, you know, six of my dice in the bag and one of theirs. However, yeah. um, you know, if you're gambling, it is often good to keep the odds in mind. Um, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. Yes. Right on. Um, well, I like this rule a lot. Um, I like the fact that, um, well, maybe we should come back to this because it ties in with another rule. Um, Jason, would you like to talk to us about poor officers? Yes. Let me just quickly find it. Okay. Um yeah, so um, the poor officers is, is basically uh, when an Italian officer, uh, sorry, uh, Italian officers may only add their command value to an ambush, a fire, or a rally order test. Uh, so this kind of feeds back into the Avanti rule. It, uh, it covers the other rules that the Avanti um, kind of... It's the counterpoint to the Avanti rule, essentially. Um, and I suppose it's to, to display that the Italians were better on the defensive or better holding ground than they were at advancing or attacking. Yeah, but if they were, if they were on fire and they were definitely on the roll, then they were definitely on the roll. So if you get ahead, yeah. re-rolling, being able to re-roll advance and run tests is huge in my mind. Yeah, it's... There's no downside there. That's the, the, the best thing about the, these new rules is that there's no downside to that. No, absolutely. And I think that really feeds in if you are going to be building an Italian list. I mean, I automatically think, okay, well, poor officers means I'm not going to bother taking um, you know, expensive officers. I'm just going to run sort of cheap and nasty ones um, with my units. Mm. And in my mind, well, that... I mean, literally means that I'm taking poor officers. So the poor officers rule helps me theme my list right off the bat. Um, Seamus, is that your experience as well? Is that what you thought? Or 
Uh, well, I mean, you got to remember, I'm that that dork who just kind of goes for theme above all else. Mm. So, um, you know, I've got the it just absolutely phenomenal Empress models um, and their their infantry officer pack. I've got a first lieutenant, a second lieutenant, and a captain all painted up. So, even if they aren't going to maybe apply their uh, their abilities as effectively as they could in the past. Um, you know, I'll still use them on occasion. Yeah, right on. Uh, Jason, would you agree with, um, are you like me or more like Seamus? <laughs> uh, I, I'm a kind of a sucker for theme, so I, I do love throwing in things that perhaps aren't the best choice, but, mm. you know, they would have been there, so put them in there. See yeah. how they go. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm also a big lover of theme, but just reading the rule about how um, there were so many Italian officers that were killed off um, early in the in the mm. Desert War, and they had to replace them with sort of poor substitutes. That's why I was thinking, well, I'll take some poor officers. Um, not yeah. necessarily to game it to maximum effect, but more to, <laughs> well, if they have crappy officers, I didn't realize that. Well, I'll take some crappy officers then. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Um, I definitely <laughs> see what you guys are saying, though. Well, let's let's talk about the actual negative rule then, the one that seems to have uh, some people's, um, how, dare I say, pennies in a bunch, um, prudente. Uh, and if I mispronounce anything, as usual, I'm sorry. Um, Italian infantry take an additional minus one penalty to all order tests, but not morale tests. Now, that's huge. Um especially on the tabletop where a lot of people are playing late war Germans and we see uh, a lot of tank, a lot of armies that may have tiger fear. Now, thankfully you don't tend to see that so much in Oz, but I know in the U S and the UK and those metas, uh, the Panzer four sort of lives loud and proud. Um, now that's interesting. What do you guys think about that rule? Uh, sorry, uh, Jason, what do you think? Um, I, I think it's it's not too bad in a general sense. Mm. Uh, as you point out, Tiger Fear is the, really the, the big the big spanner in the works for that particular rule. I mean, there's a lot of contention around the Tiger Fear rule in general. I know in Australia particularly we've taken kind of steps to, to pare that back a bit. There's been a few events recently where the rule has been sort of house ruled to only apply to veteran Panzer IVs. Mm-hmm. But Panzer IVs are particularly the, the issue because they're – they're pretty well priced as it is. And then that additional rule just really takes them over the top as just being kind of a bit too good for, for what they cost in a list. Um, but I think that's the only real huge interaction that the, the Italian, um, the Prudenti rule has overall. I think it's, it's fine. It might push people towards perhaps building more veteran forces just mm. to counteract that um, and dissuade um, dissuade running sort of regulars or uh, colonial troops or that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it, it only applies when you're taking your command checks and and if you're you know if you're in the lead, then you've got that that reroll from Avanti for advances or runs. So I think. It's it's not too bad. I don't think it's uh, I don't think the sky's falling. No, but absolutely. It, it's not a it's not a great rule, but it's uh, like in the context of being good for the army or bad for the army, it's mm. definitely you know a negative effect. But I don't think it's as bad as it's perhaps being um, cast at the moment. Yeah, that's my feelings exactly. Seamus, what do you think? 
No, I, I agree. Um, this is the one rule out of them that um, I want to say that I'm least happy about. Mm. I, I think it's got a lot of flavor, and I'd, I'd certainly much rather have a minus one to my order tests than a minus two because I'm losing the game already. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, I feel like this is a good, flavorful kind of application of uh, uh, generalization about the Italians in, in North Africa rather than just. Uh, um, I'm going to throw you to the ground and then I'm going to kick you while you're there kind of thing. So, yeah. uh, yes. the, the one, the one thing I will say is, um, some of the more, uh, vocal elements I've seen, uh, in regards to, uh, the new rules have said that there are too many rules that affect, uh, both morale and orders. Um, so I, I, I do want to say that, you know, while it may seem like it's bad that it's a minus one to orders, um, you know, as we go through the rest of the national rules, I think it's kind of balanced by other rules. I don't, I don't see it being overly punitive. Yeah, personally. exactly. Well, yeah. I think it also ties to the another national rule that we haven't covered yet, Testardo, um, which again I'm mispronouncing. Is the Italian, uh, sorry, Italian infantry units have the stubborn special special rule? Um, so you, um, sorry. Italian have the stubborn special rules. So you can then, so you're not having, so morale checks are very important in bolt action. If you fail your morale check, obviously your unit disappears. Your guys run away um, and they just disappear off the tabletop. So you don't take the minus one for morale checks. And in addition, infantry is stubborn, which means that you are testing on your base leadership when taking those morale checks. So that makes a big difference. Um, so the two of those things combined means Italian forces, uh, infantry aren't going to be running if they're on the tabletop. Um, right. And if we add it to another special rule, which we haven't talked about, um, now I'm going to butcher this one. Uh, Forza Dianmo. Uh, Dianmo? Um, all Italian infantry self-propelled artillery... Uh, and Fulgore Parachute, uh, I'm not even going to try that, Parachute. Uh, Fulgore Paracadutisti. Dear Lord. Say that again. Fulgore Paracadutisti. And that is why you're on the cast. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> stand in front of the mirror and practice it, Brad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I'm listening to Eye of the Tiger and Rolling Dice. Yes, I will do that. Um, yes. So all the Italian infantry, sorry, artillery, self-propelled artillery, and paratroopers um, remove D2 pins whenever, instead of the usual one, whenever they pass an order test um, in place of the usual. So that means that artillery and parach- you know, paratroopers are like extra stubborn um, and they get rid of pins faster, um, which kind of makes up for the fact that the officers are so terrible because um, they can't. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I, I like. I, I think this combination really gives you a very strong um, sense of character for the army. Um, it's tough. Yeah. It's going to stick around, but man, it, yeah. it at times it's not going to go where you want it to, especially if you're behind. But I think that reflects the Italians in that particular campaign, given that they were kind of getting abused by the Africa Corps. And, you know, they had very, you know, solid troops that were often, um, you know, being transported to the battlefield. 
And then the Germans were stealing their transports. So they were like, yeah. well, we're stuck here. We can't run away. I guess we just got to fight. Um, Seamus, what do you think about this combination? I uh, Two statements about this combination. Mm. Um, uh, the, the, the one thing I, I like about it is that I, I just really see these combinations of rules making for super dynamic games. Mm. Like... You know, either as the Italian player or as the opponent, you may think, ha ha, I've got them on the ropes. It's time to make that final push and really just seal the game. And then, you know, just this combination of rules can really completely flip the game on its heads. These mm. these units that you think you've got uh, about ready to write off can suddenly stand up and uh, and come at you and, 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 and do some damage to you. Um but what what I think is really cool about this, and I do want to point out, um, it actually says uh, um, self-propelled artillery as yeah. well. So those 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 tanks that we all love, like uh, the open-topped one with the uh, Italian version of the eighty-eight mm -hmm. on it, or uh, that seventy-five eighteen we were talking about. Mm -hmm. um, what's really cool about that is when you pair this with Avanzare, one of the other rules where all those guys can forward deploy. Mm -hmm. So now you've got a lot of these units that are right up in your face and they're going to be just so much harder to take out of the game. You're, you're, you basically have to destroy them. Yeah, exactly. And oh God, man, it, it really does make for some, uh, it, it, in my mind, it comes down to um, as an Italian player, I want to get up, get on the objectives and then dig in and make people come get yeah. me off. Um, which yep. I think makes for a super themey army that is, um, especially if you're playing things like Italian paratroopers, uh, is the epitome of theme. Um, mm. but yeah, I, I just I love the way these come together. And I'll admit it, I haven't played them yet, um, but I've been thinking about the way they interact. Yes, it's a lot of rules. Yes, there's a lot of interaction between the rules, um, but that's not, while that's not terribly common in bolt action, it is very common in other game systems. And I don't see this as clunky. I think these interact in a very fluid manner that will play well on the tabletop. Again, I need to do it. I need to put boots on the table, but I really like where these are going. Um, Seamus, did you get up both of your points? Because you said two. Yes, my my two points were that uh, Italian forces are a lot more dynamic now, uh, where you you think you've got them on the ropes, but they can make a comeback. Um, and then the way this rule pairs with the Avanzare rule, right. those are my two points. Right on, Jason. What do you think, man? There's there's a lot going on here. There is so much going on here. Um, yeah, I think I think it does a good job of covering the different strengths and weaknesses within the force and, and really tying it together. I mean, it's, they certainly push you in a certain direction. As you were saying, Brad, like that idea of pushing forward onto an objective and then just hunkering down and holding your ground. It's, it's full of theme, um, but it's, it's an effective tactic as well. Like it, it's going to work in the game. If you get, you get the right units in the right place and then they just, they don't go away. You, you're going to win games. So it's. I think it's a good combination. Um, it's going to need some play, and it's going to need some guys yeah. to, to really put the hours in on the Italians. But I, I don't think – I think it's a good set of rules. I like it a lot. Yeah, I'm really and, looking – sorry, Seamus, go ahead. 
I was going to say, I think at this point I'm going to have to learn how to say come at me, bro, in Italian. Yes. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Well, this is, this is wonderful. We are talking about a, a set of national rules for a minor nation um, that really do come together in a way that aren't necessarily – you're not looking at it going, that's OP. Um, but by the yeah. same token, you're not looking at it going, ooh. Um, you know, you're not shuddering when you're thinking about how that could play out on the tabletop. At least I'm not. Um, I'm really looking forward to this. And this has got me excited for bolt action uh, in a way that I haven't been for a long time. I mean, we, we've we had the same national rules. We've had the same nations in bolt action for a long time. And when we get new campaign books and when we get new theater books... Oftentimes, we'll get new selectors, which are great, um, and definitely add flavor to the game. We'll get new army lists, which is also great. Um, but usually, we'll get like one armies of in a particular book, um, you know, armies of list. Uh, and there is one in this book. There's the armies of free France um, in the mm. desert. We're getting those in this book. However, this book has given us alternative rules for the British, has given us in a lot of them. This book has given us new rules for the Italians. Uh, this book gives us um, different selectors, and each one of those selectors has little rules that adds on. You're not just limiting or theming you know, what units and vehicles you can take in your list. A lot of these selectors, and we're going to talk about some of the Italian ones in a second, they give you a little national rule that tags on. So I love this book for giving us so many different ways to approach the armies we may already have. Um, do you guys sort of get that feeling as well, uh, Jason? Uh, yeah, like there is there is a lot of flavor in here. There's a lot of options. And um, it's always great just to have, even if you just treat them as guidelines, it's always great just to have these compilations of units and, and lists and yeah. just being able to try different stuff out. Um, I mean, people often get caught up on the competitive angle of, of everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I enjoy tournament as much as anybody, but sometimes you just got to look at these books as, as guidelines and, and just something to replay a bit of history and, and build a force that won't necessarily set the world on fire, but it's, it's going to be interesting to play. It's going to be fun to play with and mm -hmm. against and, yeah, I, I I like the book. From what I've seen of it, I haven't seen the whole thing yet. Obviously, I'm waiting for my physical copy to come from Warlord. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. me too. But, um, yeah, from the few pages I've seen, I'm, I'm liking what I see. The, the campaign books recently, all of them have just been really good. Like I really enjoyed yes. the Market Garden book. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really looking forward to the the Battle of France that's mm -hmm. coming out as well. Mm -hmm. I'm just yeah, they're, they're knocking, out, knocking it out of the park, really. And, um, yeah, it's great. It's really good. Agreed. Agreed. Seamus, do you agree with this? I, I do. Um, and, and before we go on to the last two rules, I do want to say uh, the inclusion of that free French selector in this book um, it is to date one of the one of the coolest things I've seen um, from the community. Uh, you know, that list was developed... Uh, you know, our, our, our good buddy Brian Cook mm -hmm. and uh, Lou Passagier in yes. France there. Um, I think I think Patch had some input on that too. And 
um, that list that it's been out as an unofficial PDF for a long time. And, um, you know, that was a really good early instance of the community putting together something with a lot of flavor, um, kind of bucking, uh, uh, maybe misplaced stereotypes. I'll call it that. Mm -hmm. And, and doing something for the benefit of the community and for, uh, for the author to have realized that and taken it and put it in the book in an official capacity is exciting as hell. Yeah, man. Now, I, I, I know I said it on the last episode, but Roger, uh, the the author for this book, really was community-centered. Uh, you know, he really went out and he addressed some of the stuff that was already in existence, um, and he talked to uh, Mark Barber about, um, some of the stuff that he was doing with a future book even. So he talked to the author of the battle for France and there are two units in that, in the, in the desert book, which will reappear in the, um, France book in a maybe slightly different forms, but are based in this book. They came out of that other book. And so the fact that you're getting Royal Engineers and you're getting light machine gun teams as individual units in the German list, those are straight out of um, the Battle for France. So it's really Hang on a second, cool. Brad. Yep. Did you say Royal Engineers are finally getting rules for use in the game? Yeah. Did I mess that up? No, that's that's exciting. Yeah, uh, right. You okay. Know, for years, like, oh, no. they've had the models available, and people have mm-hmm. always, you know, I always, I get a little tear in my eye when you see a new player coming into the game. They're like, <laughs> "Hey, I just finished painting up my British. I painted up this awesome unit of engineers. Can anybody tell me which book the uh, rules are in?" And, and for years, it's been, "Oh, buddy, uh, <laughs> sorry, pal." <laughs> like the bazooka yeah. jeep. <laughs> like yes, yeah, yes, right. The bazooka is a good example. Yep. Oh, for a second, I thought I'd missed it in the book, and I was like, oh, God, I oops, I tanked that. But no, yeah, no. right? I saw that. I yeah. opened. Um, I've only, again, I haven't, I'm not holding the physical book. I've only seen bits and pieces. Um, but the bits and pieces, one of them was that unit. And I was like, yeah, let's go. Let's do this. Amazing. <laughs> um, but anyway. Uh, it's it's just great to see the author, and of course, the author then um, was speaking with Brian um, and Lou about using that list in the book. Um, he really went out to people who had value added to the community and had uh, established things before. Um, some of the um, the Maori rules, for example, or sorry, not Maori, the New Zealander rules come from David Hunter's PDF way back when, Uber Gruber. Um, and the, uh, sorry, the Indian rules came from the duel in the sun book. So I mean, he just went back to content that already existed and he made sure that it was consistent across bolt action as a whole, which sometimes given, and this isn't, you know, it isn't that, you know, the, the authors of bolt action, um, are lazy writers or, um, you know, it's a bunch of different authors writing these. It isn't one studio. Um, it's a bunch of different people writing these, and there is a library of books for bolt action now. And if yes. you miss one little unit or one little rule and put something in your book that isn't consistent with a, a different book, um, players get really upset um, because they want that consistency. And Roger, I think, delivered that in this book. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, uh, Jason, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's nice to draw on the on the community's input already, and uh, we all know that 
there's a lot of passion for it in the community and the mm. fact that um, we've had these PDFs out there for so long for the Australians and, and for the free mm -hmm. French and there's just and then the Hungarians, I think to Brian do a Hungarian PDF as well. Yeah. Which yep. is yep. at some point gonna become a official reality. Um yes. But yes, right? Um, but it, it's great that they're willing to have those conversations with, with people in the community who, who just have passion for the game and passion for the nations that they write for as well. Mm. So um, it's, it's great. It is. Um, well, let's get to the other Italian rules. Um, mm. Seamus, tell us about Avanzare. Avanzare, uh, that one I think is pretty cool. Hang on, I got to swipe a couple of screens back. So I, I will confess, I've I've been that uber nerd um, scouring the internets and uh, watching the War Games Illustrated video and pausing, and uh, you know our good buddy Jason up there in uh, Minnesota sharing his his feedback. Uh, but it, but it's so exciting as an Italian player. Um, so Avanzare is Italian anti-tank guns may forward deploy as per snipers and forward observers in any mission, um, even those that prohibit forward deployment, and these do not count towards totals for determining first waves if they do. Um, this is kind of based on, um, there's a well-documented uh, history of Italian artillery teams um, kind of actually being forward and, and sticking to their guns uh, even when the the whole thing had gone pear shaped. Um, additionally, I've also read a few sources that said they were incredibly accurate as well. But I think it's really cool to represent the artillery crews just sticking it out, regardless of what else is going on around them. Definitely, uh, Jason. What do you think about this? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's another nice flavor rule. It's another um, it's another good one for that that doctrine of sort of pushing up and holding the ground and and really just um, slanting the army towards that defensive sort of stature, mm -hmm. but being able to hold more than just your deployment zone. I think it's uh, it'll, it'll com combine well with the other rules around the morale on the infantry. The stubborn is is going to be good. And the, the dropping of the additional pins on those anti-tank guns yeah. mean that you're able mm -hmm. to push them up into that advanced position and not worry about them being rendered ineffective because um, the officers will still give their morale bonus to the guns because mm -hmm. it they will just be firing so that's yeah. fine they'll be in the advanced position so they'll be on very few modifiers to hit it's it all ties in nicely with the rest of the list it's a very consistent rule um but it's also got that that edge of like Seamus was saying it's got that flavor to it about the forward deployment and the history of how the guns were employed so yeah, solid. I, uh, I I do want to remind uh, everybody, uh, especially the listeners, that the Italians do have the Canonone uh, 9053, mm -hmm. which is essentially the Italian version of the 88. Mm -hmm. So uh, you know, as an anti-tank gun, Ford deployed, um, you know, set that up in an ambush position. That's uh, uh, that, that could that could give you a pretty early edge, um, and yeah. and even if it doesn't work out well, that is certainly going to give your opponent something very significant to think about mitigating very early on. Yeah, so that that could be a tactic you could use with that. Now yeah. we just need a good model for it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> 
I was um so I having played at Operation Hoff on the weekend, um, we were playing a couple of the old um missions from the 2016 Bolt Action Alliance mission pack. Uh, and nice. one of those missions um, was that you deploy uh, an infantry unit and an infantry or artillery unit on the board at the start of the game. And then everything else comes on either in a first wave or in reserve. Um, and that got me thinking about um, what my thoughts were when that was originally written. And that's that um, you can, if you have, you know, if you put out a sniper too far, and this is one of the things I often see, you know, newer players do, or even experienced players, um, but for different reasons, that they'll put a sniper way forward um, to be able to have, you know, open range shooting at your opponent's forces. But if you have your stuff out too far in advance, um, you can just take it off. Um, yeah. Soviet scouts models are sometimes victim to this if with new players if they you know oh cool I can put it all the way up to here well I'm going to put this one squad here meanwhile the rest of the army's all the way back on the table edge or isn't even on the table um, you need to be able to support these units now if you want to play the game within the game within the game though um, as <laughs> what you might do is intentionally take that big ass gun and deploy it forward from the rest of your army. Now, you can either move things up and then hold it, and that way your gun is in a better position, um, or you can use it as the old yield red herring and have your opponent pouring fire into it. Meanwhile, you're moving off to grab a different objective. Um, make your opponent deal with it and it, you know sacrifice it for the greater good. Um, Zone denial. Yeah, right. Um, so, because the range on that thing is going to be sickening. So, yes. you know, especially with desert, you're going to see a slight tendency towards more open tables. Mm -hmm. um, so there is there is more of an opportunity to use that forward deployed gun to sort of deny your opponent um, uh, where they're going to want to move in other pieces. Like their art, uh, their um, their armor obviously is going to be mm -hmm. very susceptible to that. The desert, you know, big tanks weren't really much of a thing there. So, yeah. And I think it is important that we mention here that this is for anti tank guns only. You it uh, the the Italians do have some pretty awesome howitzers and arty pieces that you can use as well, but they don't get this rule. It is the, only the anti tank guns. Um, right. But yeah, very cool. Jason, have you uh, been able to weigh in on this one? Um, I, I just like the flexibility. Being able mm. to forward deploy anything is always useful because you never know what kind of a table you're going to end up on. And, right. you know, if if your best vantage point is within your deployment zone or it's just ahead, you're, you're sort of wasting a turn by moving that gun to get a better line of sight. Mm -hmm. So just having the ability to to put that wherever you like. Um, as Seamus was saying, they tend to have very good range on them. So being able to just stick that out on a flank halfway up the table, it's going to be able to reach out and touch whatever it wants to. Um, so you can really lock down some really good angles of fire and, and even combining it with something like the, um, the artillery recruiting rules, which yes. you don't see used a lot. Um, I, the tendency is you only see them in sort of airborne lists. You'll see them in British Paras, Fulshenjager, anybody that doesn't really play around armor where you have those dual, dual platoon setups. Um, mm -hmm. Two guns working in tandem can be just deadly. Um, and now whether that's two anti-tank guns that you mm -hmm. forward deploy together and really just lock down one side of the table, or if that's... Uh, 
a, an anti-tank gun set slightly forward with an artillery piece 12 inches behind it to mm. give some cover fire. Like, there's so many options there, and just the flexibility flexibility in the deployment is going to be um, really useful, I think, for, yeah. for the Italians. Well, just to touch on that flexibility, um, and the recurring is an excellent point that I hadn't thought about, but just because you have that forward deployment option doesn't mean you need to use it. Now, depending mm -hmm. on some of the missions, forward deployers deploy last. Um, and if you are looking to see where your opponent's deploying their um, their units, depend again, this is all mission dependent, you can yeah. save that, hold it off to the side as a forward deployment unit, but you don't have to forward deploy it. You can just then put it with the rest of your army, but then you know where your opponent tanks are um, sure. in armored assets. Likewise, what if you only need to move it three inches outside your uh, you know, uh, deployment zone? You're still, it's still with your army, but you just get that little extra flexibility of where you put the darn thing. So as you were saying, you don't have to waste a turn moving it. So yep. I think it's a great rule. Um, Again, if you are going to be super aggressive with it, you're probably going to get punished for it. But um, it does it does mean that your opponent has to deal with it. And given that you may want to be running forward with some of your units early on in the game, uh, depending on what your game plan is, this might be a foil to give your opponent something to think about. Um, anyway, th these are the thoughts that have been running through my brain as I've been reading this rule. Um, Seamus, did we sort of wrap this one up or did you want to add anything? Yeah, no, I, I think uh, what's really cool, too, is um, one of the things I like that Roger's done as well as with the theater selectors is, uh, you know, in the past, like you, you take Germans, you take a theater selector so you can get that second MMG team or uh, with Americans, you take a theater selector so you can get the second bazooka or something like that. But uh, I'm throwing scrolling through some of the captured images that somebody sent me and uh, a lot of his lists have uh, options for two artillery pieces or uh, yeah. uh, armored platoons with multiple uh, Italian tanks and things like that. So, uh, you know, I, I use the example of the 9053, the, the really super heavy anti-tank gun, but, um, you know, they have the 4732, the little mm -hmm. uh, Elephantino anti-tank gun. You can get two of those little guys and four deploy them and, uh, you know, a, a small tree stand or a, a small hill yeah. will give them, in most cases, sufficient cover. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's. I think it gives a good level of tax, tactical flexibility for the Italians. It's, it's pretty neat to see. It is, mm -hmm. uh, and it is interesting. You bring up a good point with the Elephantino. The uh, having got one in my Auto Sahariana force, I was surprised <laughs> when it showed up because I painted a. So I have the Warlord anti tank rifle. Um, and the Elephantino, which is the light AT gun. Um, I got both of them at the same time. I opened the blisters and assembled them and painted them at the same time. So they were side by side on my table the entire time. Yes, the Elephantino is bigger than the anti-tank rifle, which is also carriage mounted. But wow, they are not that far apart size-wise. Um, so yeah. in my Auto Sahariana, my light AT gun was always minus two to hit because I was sticking it behind cover uh, and people just had to deal with it. Um, mm. But yeah. Um, likewise, I think it, <laughs> it should probably be mentioned. Um, there was a snafu with the release of the ebook of this. Um, it, there seemed to be one particular day if you pre-ordered the book um, 
some people had access to an electronic version of the Desert <clears throat> War book for 24 hours um, before it was taken down again. Um, so there are a few copies of this floating around in the ether, and it seems to be um, screenshot after screenshot has been making its way into social media. Um, I am yeah. looking forward to the full book in my grubby little paws so I can yes. see all of it at once. But um, if you're wondering um, where some of these are coming from, yeah. Um, well, let's let's talk yeah. the next one. Um, the Italian Armored Brigade. Um, now... <sighs> Seamus, you clearly want to talk about this. Hit us. I, I am I am so excited about this. So I, I don't know if a lot of people know. I've talked about it a few times in the past, but there's there's a book out there called Iron Holes, Iron Hearts. Mm -hmm. um, and it was written uh, quite a few years ago about a guy who really just wanted to um, just just to get rid of that whole conception that Italian tanks were utter garbage and their crews were even worse. Uh, and he kind of does this great job of laying out the whole history of the buildup to the war and their actions during the war and things like that. And, uh, you know, and then here it is, special rules, iron holes, iron hearts. Um, and, and it basically says, despite the disparaging opinions of uh, uh, the Italian armored forces by other nations, they're actually quite brave. So, um, an Italian medium or light tank with this Iron Holes, Iron Hearts rule may re-roll any failed order tests to advance or run as long as this would bring them closer to an enemy unit. Yeah. Now that is, of course, attached to the Armored Brigade Reinforced Platoon. And I hear some people going, wait, what? They can take it with what vehicles and what guns and what what? Um, now this is a very specific list. Um, this is if you were going to run a tank wars list in this particular, in 1940 to 1941, right? Um, so you can take the L3 tankette, um, any version of it, or the M11 slash <laughs> 39, I hear that giggling, Seamus, uh, and the M13 slash 40. Um, and those are the vehicles you can take. And then other than that, it's the um, your usual uh, anti-tank, sorry, your uh, tank wars list. Um, although the armored car only you can choose from the auto blind of 40 or the 41. Um, of course, it's the 41 with the slightly different uh, turret options that is the 40. If, in case you're wondering where the auto blind of 40 rules are, it's under the 41 entry in the book. Um, now, there is also, um, they add a couple of things in the optional things you can take. Um, you can also take the 1000 slash 17 or the, uh, on the Lancia RIO and the Brit, the Brita gun on the Lancia RIO, which are, I believe it's, isn't it RSO? Um, it's the truck. So the truck mounted weapons. Um, so we're talking very light stuff here. Um, mm -hmm. Now, I don't think we necessarily need to read through everything in this list because it's an extensive list of what you can take, but it's a, st it's a standard tank brigade. You can take three to five tanks um, and an armored car. You can take um, up to three infantry squads. You can take a sniper squad, a, a machine gun squad, a light mortar, and an ATR. Um, the biggest artillery piece you can get anti-tank-wise is an Elfantino. Um, you can take some autocannons and some other stuff. Um, there is an additional anti-tank you could take. Um, what's interesting is with a lot of these lists, it's like you can take this, you can take this, um, like you can take up to two guns, and but one of them has to be this and one of them has to be that. Um, 
or is from this list and from this list. So in, in a way, you can take two guns, but oftentimes you can't take the same gun um, because that, which I found really interesting. Um, Seamus, you clearly have spent some time thinking about this list. Um, what do you think about it? Two, two really interesting points kind of pop up. Uh, the first one is the L640 uh, tank that mm-hmm. you're, we're talking about. Um, in the in the main rules, that's actually usable as an armored car because it is such a light tank with an auto cannon. Mm-hmm. Um, but in in this list, it actually becomes a, a, a tank now, so you don't have that option to drop it into the armored car slot. Um, and and the other point they have is the one thing that kind of worries me about this is a little bit is if I, if I'm doing the math correct here, I can take four of the uh, the famous M1441, uh, the machine gun gunboats mm-hmm. there. Uh, so I, I I can see some some uh, less savory elements of the gaming community perhaps selecting those and. Um, you know, that's a, that's an unholy amount of firepower to be dumping out. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I know a lot of people sort of police themselves and some TOs I, I, I don't think would allow that. But uh, I, I think it's really cool. Uh, what's neat about it is you can include up to three infantry squads, which includes the Bersaglieri Modiguzzi squads. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like I said, having gotten that box from Dog Tag in the mail, uh, mere weeks before this book is is a uh, is released is uh, uh, very fortuitous to say the least. I'm 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 more excited about painting up that squad now than than I than I was a year ago when I pledged on the Kickstarter. Yeah, right. Um, especially since it's already a mounted unit in a list that needs to be mounted otherwise. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, Jason, any thoughts about this little guy? Um, I, I like it. Uh, it's armored platoons don't really see much play, no, exactly. at least in my area. But it's it's again, it's another nice flavor thing to have. That if you want to do that big, big game one weekend where you throw down a bunch of tanks and have a go at each other, it's it's always good to have this kind of structure to build around. So that's that's always cool. Yeah, we I, don't. I, I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, I do want to point out, you're talking about big games. Um, Italian tanks are not very many points. Yeah, yeah fair point. Yeah, even an armored platoon. I, I think you could probably do a, a five-tank platoon in a 1,000 points easily. Yep. Yeah, especially if, yeah, especially if you're running three <laughs> infantry squads. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, looking at this, I was thinking... Uh, you know, the that um, those MMG tanks, as you're talking about, the gunboats might be an issue if you're running, you know, armored platoons in regular lists, uh, but in you know regular events, I should say. But in Melbourne, you know, in a, at least in Melbourne, we don't tend to run tank war platoons unless it's a tank war event. Right. And if you took that list to a tank war event. Um, you know, take your toys off, man. You're going to get taken off. There's going to be some (laughs) AT assets that are going to make mincemeat of those light tanks. So um, I don't see that as OP at all. If anything, I see that as a fun, fluffy list. Um, Now, yes, could if you were taking this in a regular event um, where there's, you know, regular platoons, um, that could be problematic. Uh, A lot of light tanks with heavy machine guns, that has been proven to do quite well in some events. Um, I think Mad Bob took 10 FT 
uh, 17 tanks in an event and did quite well with it. Um, you know, just a, There's prol- a reason they call him mad. Yeah. And, and that's awesome. Uh, a ton of yes. cheap, you know, cheap tanks with light armor and with a lot of machine guns, um, or a machine gun in his case. Um, you know, that'll get the job done. But, uh, you know, if you're playing tank wars, t- dead. Um, and if you're playing themed events, um, you know, it would be cool. I would love to see that on the table, and uh, I hope to face that at some point. Although I don't think I'm ever going to paint enough of those tanks to ever field that force, but, you know, never say never. Um, well, let's jump. I have this force already done. Oh, yeah, dude, you're ready. Um, well, let's, hold on, let's move on to the next one. So uh, the 1942 AS-42 Infantry Platoon. Um, now, this is sort of the... Italian version of the DAC. Um, so that's what the national rules sort of say. Um, and it is, so you can take a, it's basically built around a squad that's called the AS-42 Infantry Squad. Now, um, while I am getting that squad up and running, Seamus, do you want to say anything about this particular army? Um, as yeah. In- uh, what's... Um, what's really interesting about it is that they're, uh, um, they're veteran troops. Yes. Uh, so to do that, that selector actually requires you to take, uh, veteran units as your, as your core choices. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure, uh, that's, that's one of the ones I don't have a whole lot of details on, but, uh, um, I just know that that AS 42 squad is a veteran squad. So, yeah. um, you know, kind of like we were talking about earlier, uh, obviously in the last edition and, and second edition, um, people were really encouraged to take veteran forces because it was going to give you a little more uh, staying power as, as your units are getting turned up. So um, it's interesting that you're allowed to take non-veteran units and, and do some cool things, but this one sort of takes it back to that all-veteran kind of option. Yeah. Well, there's also the AS-42. So the AS-42 squad is six guys. It's an NCO and five guys, and you can take up to five more. And they're veteran, so you can take up to, it's a, up to 11 guys. Uh, the NCO can have a submachine gun, and up to two other guys can have light machine guns as normal. Um, they have the Avanti special rule, the Prudente, and the Testardo, which we talked about before. Um, now, I got confused when I saw this, and I know a few other people that have had the same experience, because the AS-42 is the name of the Sahariana armored car. Um, Mm. And so I was thinking, oh, this must clearly, these guys must ride in those trucks. No, no, this is just, that's sort of the name of the... um, I don't know, the school of thought in combat for that particular time. Um, So, yeah, embarrassingly, that I was wrong. No, I actually I had the same question, but if you actually go back to Armies of the Italy and Axis, they've got a box out that says the Italian AS-42 Divisional Organization. Um, and it was after the Germans came to North Africa and the Italians said, hey, these yeah. guys are doing some cool stuff. It was their attempt, kind of like you said, to emulate what the Deutsche Afrika Corps was doing. Yeah. So with these guys, you get, as you say, three veteran squads with a lieutenant, and then you can take up to two more of these squads. So you can't take any other troop type, just that troop type. Mm-hmm. Um, you can take two to three machine gun teams. Now, notice, that's not a zero. 
That's a two to three. So you, if you take this um, selector, you have to take two medium machine gun teams, um, which is interesting. Um, now, you can take two artillery pieces, but from the following list, zero to two. And then there's a big old list. And in some of them, you can take up to two of this light one, or you can take one. So you can't take two medium howitzers. You can take one, um, and you get a choice of which one, but it's still a medium howitzer. Um, but you could take up to two anti-aircraft guns. You could take up to two AT guns from a certain list. Um, so it, it, in one hand, it sort of gives you a lot of choice on what you can take, but it, it limits the non-historical choices, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. You can take up to one Autoblinda AB-41 armored car, and then there's a list of tanks that you can take as well. And it's an exhaustive list with a lot of letters and numbers. So I'm not going to read them all, um, given especially since the, the book is about to drop on us. But what's interesting yeah. is on that list, um, you can take the Autoblinda 41. So you could actually take two Autoblinda 41s in this list. Um, one is your armored car and one is your tank, which I thought was interesting. Um, but th- there's a lot of the Italian tanks in there as well. And um, again, the, a few of the weapon-carrying trucks, um, which I really love the look of. Uh, and then, of course, there's some transport options and some tows, um, which you would expect given the, um, the fact that you can take two arty pieces. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a cool list. Um, you can take mortar teams, but there isn't any, um, you can't take anti-tank rifles in this list, for example. So on one hand, it limits you, um, but it gives you more freedom. There aren't any additional national rules to be added to this one, but, um, I think it, it plays well with the new attach Italian national rules. Um, Jason, what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's as we said earlier that it does push you slightly towards veteran troops, um, just the national rules in general. So these selectors are gonna are gonna work well with all of them, I think. Um, the the zero to two on the the supporting guns is always an interesting one. I've noticed there's mm. been a few selectors recently which have started to do that. Um, I know the I think it was the Fulschenjäger Regiment Six in the Market Garden book. There was mm-hmm. a bit of contention there around the fact that you could take. I think two mortars and two snipers and two yeah. Panzer Shreks. And there was a lot of multiple support units there, but only in a single platoon structure. Um, that has an, a sort of a, there's a potential there for that to creep a little bit and get mm-hmm. a little bit too silly. But I think in terms of the history and the flavor, it makes a lot of sense that you wouldn't necessarily have a single gun supporting a platoon. Like mm-hmm. it would be, a battery of guns or a pair of guns or, or something of that nature. So I, I like it. I like this push towards having it just a bit more available in a single platoon so you're not forced to sort of play two whole platoons with the additional lieutenant you don't really want or need just to get the extra support. It gives you that freedom to to select something that would make sense for where you want to play and the army you want to play. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. And I feel like they did a good job of limiting some of the more abusable options from that list as well, um, as in mm. you can only take one of these or other things just aren't listed. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think it does a nice job of matching. And it, as you say, it, it it really does give you a different way to play that would match historically. So, yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Seamus, um, did you get a chance in on this one or are you happy with what we said? Yeah, no, I, I actually think aside from the armored platoon that we just talked about, um, I 
think this one is probably the most likely uh, candidate for my my existing platoon. Uh, trying to figure out a way to wedge the force that I have into this one. Yeah. Uh, it's got a lot of cool options. Um, it looks like I might have to get a few more pieces here and there uh, to sort of fill out some of those sections. But um, I, I think it's a pretty exciting selector. Yeah, man. I was very excited about that. Well, let's let's talk about the next one, which is the one that gets me all hot and bothered. Um, we, As I said earlier... <clears throat> Italian paratroopers. Let's go. Um, so we have the Fulgore para. Okay, Seamus. Fulgore. It's the Italian word for lightning, and then paracadutisti. Thank you. The uh, so we have a new entry for these guys in this book. Um, so they're still fourteen points. Um, they're still um, so it's so rather than thirteen points, but they're veteran. Um, and you get, so, 84 points uh, for one NCO and five guys, and then up to five additional riflemen at 14 points each. Um, the NCO can have a submachine gun at three points, and up to three other guys can have submachine guns at three points each. Now, noticeably absent here is a machine gun option. Um, there isn't one. Uh, and the special rules say, Avante, Prudente, Testardo, and Tank Hunters. Now, I don't know if that's a typo, um, but given that the 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 way the paratroopers fought at, at El Alamein um, and how they basically dug in and fought on with basically their bare hands and satchel charges against British armor, um, I'm not surprised that rule is there. Um, I don't. I would like to think it is not a typo. Um, it might be, um, but I, I I really like that that is there. Um, so that's cool, but, and it also kind of makes sense because they're 14 points and paratroopers usually pay to be 14 points because they have stubborn. Well, the Italians all get stubborn now. So built in. in. So I, I, the way I'm sort of thinking this, I think that's intentional. Um, so they get tough, uh, sorry, tank hunter for a point, uh, which I, I love, love. That's really cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that really gets me excited. So again, you have um, you have to take a lieutenant and up to two paratrooper squads. So again, veteran has to be veteran, um, and you can take up to four other infantry squads, all of which have to be paratroopers. You can't take anything but a paratrooper. Um, you can take a captain or a major. You can take a medic. You can take a forward observer, um, or you could take a machine gun team or a light or a medium mortar. Um, again, you can take up to two artillery pieces, but again, that list is, it isn't the complete list. You can take up to two of these light ones, or you could take this one medium howitzer, or you could take one of two, eight, you know, AA guns or up to two of these light AT guns. So the list is again, truncated to, to, for theme. Um, you can take an auto blinder, um, as an armored car. And I believe it is the same list of tanks that was in the previous entry that I didn't read. Um, you can take transport options and you can take the tow. Now, paratroopers did fight in formation in the desert. Um, and mm-hmm. 
They fought as elite troops, and in the desert, they would have had to have vehicles and whatnot. Um, but what I like about this, if you want to play, given this division's performance at El Alamein, um, so after that battle, where they basically fought tooth and nail till they ran out of ammo, and then even when they ran out of ammunition, they were allowed to surrender and keep their weapons Um I believe that's how it worked, or they were able to walk away unscathed by the British who saluted them. Um, so th- Churchill later wrote about this unit, they, uh, we must honor the men that were the lions of the Fulgore. So these guys, if you want to build a force for El Alamein, I think the new national rules, and I think this selector definitely lets you do that. Um, but of course, if you are running the Battle of El Alamein, the second one, um, you would, of course, probably leave out the armored car, the tanks and the transports, um, because everything else fits. But if you want to run a more generalist list with these guys, because they were used in other places, I think this complete selector allows you to do that. So I'm very excited. I think this is cool. Yeah, I think they'd yeah. be a good option if you wanted to do like a what if Operation Hercules, the yes. planned invasion of Malta. I think that would be a really good, uh, really good selection mm-hmm. for that battle as well. Yeah, Jason, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Um, more options is always good. Yeah, man, I'm a big fan of <laughs> and, that. And uh, yeah, I I love I love the Italian para camouflage as well. It's I would imagine it's a nightmare to paint. I've never tried it myself, but I love the pattern so much. Anybody who hasn't seen the Italian para camouflage pattern should just go and look at it because it's it's so beautiful. It's amazing. Yeah. I, I actually have to say about that, it's because um, I've done up a unit of the Power Cadu Tisti and uh, it was um, it was easier than I thought it would be. Uh, like oh. I've tried to paint Falschermjäger Splitter Muster mm. and mm. failed miserably, but... Uh, Paracadutisti was actually pretty easy. Um, there are, you know, depending on how much faith you put in Google images, there's different <laughs> takes on what colors they are. Right. Um, yeah. uh, but I got to I gotta give a tip of the hat to our buddy Brian Ward up there in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some pictures you've seen where it's like almost this sky green color mm-hmm. as the base. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he tipped me off on the Vallejo color for that. So I decided just so that my guys would look a little bit different. Um, I used that green as the base and it ended up being really cool. It's a, it's a, it's a neat contrast with the desert colors. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I, I, I've, so one of the things, and I've talked about this on another cast is with the battle of El Alamein and with some of the desert paratrooper forces, um, the the smocks and the the full gear that they would have had in Italy and early on in the campaign um, were very quickly discarded. Um, uh, in the desert heat, their um, their rubber soled shoes actually melted, um, and so they often switched over to more conventional uniforms, especially the sun helmets and shorts. Um, and so, if you look up uh, paratrooper pictures of El Alamein. Um, there's a few really good ones, um, some of which are from box art for, um, you know, uh, 172nd paratrooper box of toys, for example. Um, 
you can see guys wearing both what they called the samurai vest of SMG clips down their chest. Um, you can mm-hmm. see guys in yeah. shorts. You can see guys wearing the usual sort of baggy trousers that um, some Italian soldiers wore. Some had gaiters, some didn't. But all of them were wearing the hobnose or so the hobnail shoes um, because they didn't melt in the heat. Um, and so you got this interesting mix of paratrooper helmets, regular soldier helmets, um, the, the, the field caps, and, um, more often than not, you, you either got the paratrooper helmet or the sun helmets, which kind of look like pith helmets. Um, and so Mm -hmm. I've sort of been collecting bits for a long time. Um, and so I have warlord models, I have, um, artisan models, Black Tree Design does a wonderful set of models that fits that uniform if you cut off the head and put a different helmet on it. Um, and mm-hmm. Warlord Sun helmets are perfect for that. Um, and so I have this massive pile of bits that I keep wanting to add to um, to build that army. And now I have the bits and pieces. So looking at it, I'm going, ooh. This is such a cool force. And because the uniforms are Frankensteined and bastardized, it really makes for, it would make for a one-off army that wouldn't look like anyone else's. Um, Yeah. Which is cool. Um, Now, the next selector. Seamus, the the guys you're excited about on the motorcycle. Yes, thank you. Say it again. Versalieri. Yeah. So we have a new, so again, it's a selector built around a new infantry squad. Um, This is what Seamus just said, uh, machine gun squad. So it's 102 points for six guys. Um, You can take up an additional six guys, um, but they are all mounted on motorcycles. And so they are. And that's actually where I'm going to stop you. I believe MG actually stands for Motoguzi, not machine gun, Ah. because they're motorcycle troops. Oh, of course. I can't believe. Yes, you are correct. I did actually read that somewhere. Um, And so, yes, they don't all have machine guns. Um, (laughs) They do all have motorcycles, though, and they're 17 points a pop. So you have between 6 and 12 guys, 17 points each. The NCO can have a submachine gun, and up to two guys can have um, the aforementioned light machine gun um, instead of rifles. And, of course, another dude acts as a a loader. They get the Avanti special rule, uh, Prudente, Testardo, and the motorbikes rule. Um, now again, this is a selector that allow is built around that particular unit. Um, and so you have a Lieutenant and you have up to two squads of those particular guys. Um, and then, um, you have the rest and I'm scrolling painfully through, um, here we go. I had it and then I lost it. So great radio for everyone. You can take up to four additional squads of these guys. Again, there's no other infantry options for this particular um, selector. It's just that. Um, You can take a captain or a major. You can take a medic. You can take a forward observer. Um, Note that if chosen as part of the 1942 uh, MG platoon, these headquarters units must be mounted on motorbikes for free. So that's cool. Um, There's an MG team. Uh, there's a light, a medium machine gun team, I should say, a light or medium mortar. Um, and again, we get that list of two artillery, but the limited list, 
Um, I believe it's the same as the ones previously, and we get the same armored car and tank options and transport options as well. Um, now, what I find interesting is they don't actually include um, the rule that everything has to be mounted, uh, but maybe you know that was an oversight. Um, or maybe they want you to be able to have a force that swoops in from one side and on the other side um, you might you know, have like a, a hammer and anvil kind of situation. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a very cool um, selector. Uh, Seamus, what do you yeah. think about that? This seems to be your wheelhouse. I, I I think it's actually a, a really neat idea. Um, one of the one of the neat things about Bersalieri is, of course, Rommel once said that uh, the German soldier impressed the world. The Bersalieri impressed the German soldier, mm-hmm. uh, and and so they were really known for being uh, hard hitting with a minimal amount of equipment and uh, just always being in the right place at the right time. So. Uh, having an entirely motorcycle-mounted force, uh, that'll be a really cool tactical option. Obviously, at, at that many points per model, it's uh, it's going to be difficult to have a large force. Uh, mm-hmm. You're going to eat up points pretty quickly, but uh, I, I think it'll be neat. Um, and then what's neat about it, too, is motorcycle troops aren't as deadly as they were in the last mm-hmm. edition. Right, so uh, so you do have some tactical options, but you're certainly not going to steamroll your opponent. Uh, you do have to make some pretty crucial choices as you deploy and move around the table. Yeah, I, I think it's a real cool list. Yeah, man, I love it. Um, I also, well, it's it's neat in that all of your infantry unit and uh, sorry, infantry units have to be on a motorcycle. So. If you, like, I love a, a weird, quirky list, and I know, Jason, you do too, um, and Seamus, I should say. So yep. this is a, a quirky-ass list where you are running around with all of your infantry have to be on motorcycles. Now, you can dismount off those if you need to go in a building or whatnot, but mm-hmm. that's crazy. Um, it just means you need to buy a lot of motorcycle units. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, sorry, Jason. Did- sorry, go ahead, Seamus. And I was going to say, and depending on how OCD you are, remember, once you dismount from that motorcycle, you can't climb back on. So, uh, you know, if you're like me, I've got the squad that's mounted on motorcycles, mm-hmm. and then I've got a squad on foot, because once they dismount, I don't want them walking around on on motorcycles. So That's right. And if you are Lee Avery, you're an absolute freak of nature, and you actually <laughs> match the guy on the motorcycle to the infantry guy on foot down to the mustache. Um, and so yeah. it's like, here, this is that guy. This is that guy. And when you play him and you kill a couple of the guys on well bikes, and then he goes to... Uh, you know, put them on the board. He's like, okay, which guy's dead? All right, this guy stays off the board, this guy stays off the board, and then he puts them in, which is just an extra level of hobby insanity. Um, but it's cool. Uh, Jason, what do you think about this list? Yeah, I like it a lot. I'm a big fan of that That sort of, well, obviously we're going to talk about the LRDG later, so mm-hmm. I'm always a big fan of that mobile force that that uh, can kind of go where it wants and do what it wants. But, um, uh, yeah, it's it's... It's great. Like I like the motorbikes. I like cavalry in their current iteration. I feel like they're a bit more of a valid choice. They were always a bit dirty in the first edition of the mm-hmm. game, but now they've been dialed back a little bit. That's that's another cool unit to play. But um, yeah, again, it's a it's a flexibility thing. Like the the ability to move around the table 
with that much extra movement is always good in the, the game of bolt action. Yeah, man. I could so. not agree more. Yeah. Well, um, I guess the last selector that we need to talk about is the 1942 Italian Armored Brigade. Um, now, this is very much uh, a sort of a redo of the first Armored Brigade that we talked about, the 1940 to 41 one that we mentioned earlier. It has the same rule um, and a slightly updated vehicle list. Um, I don't know if we necessarily need to read through all of that again. Um, just to uh, say that you get two different uh, tank war lists if you want to play Italians and if you want to match them particular battles. Um, for example, if you want to take some at El Alamein, um, you have a list for it, which I love quite a bit. Did you guys want to talk about this one in any detail? The, you know, now that I think about it, um, I wonder if I may have been misspeaking earlier when I said my concern for the original armored platoon was the M1441s. Yeah, I um, was. Those I was were those that. were a later war edition, so mm -hmm. um, I may have actually been looking at this list. You were and mixing um, mixing that up. I was literally going to say I was literally reading this, going, "You mentioned the 1441 before." Um, yes. Yeah, it was a later edition. So, so you were okay. talking about this list um, because yeah. that is on this. And the L6 is on this list as well. Neither the M1441 Correct. and the L6 are in the 40 to 41 list. Um, that's all L3s um, and the other ones. So Gotcha. Um, yeah. But yeah. Okay. So, yeah, it makes a little more sense in a later war version because, mm. you know, obviously that's when they were. Uh, uh, that's when they were introduced. So I guess copy paste all my comments from the first armored platoon list here. Yeah, but it's still <laughs> it's the same. You again get the special rule: armored hearts, armor. Uh, sorry, armored halls, iron, iron halls, halls, iron, iron hearts. hearts. Thank you. Yes. Um, same national rule. Same everything. Um, and yeah, I think it's cool. I think it's a great addition. I think the 1942 version. If you were to play it in, in an open event without theming, I think this is definitely a lot more horror to inflict on somebody um, than yeah, the other one. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but again, it depends on what sort of uh, what sort of events you guys are running in your. Uh, sorry, what sort of list you guys allow in your events that you're running in your local meta? Uh, Jason, yeah. do you have anything else you want to add to that? Or are you happy to say, "Yay, late war Italian tank selector"? I mean. Yeah, the, the, the Italians have some great tanks. The M14s and the M, uh, M14 and M15 are always pretty scary to see across the table. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a good list for theme, but open events, you might want to be a bit careful with it. But yeah, nice to have the option. Totally, man. Totally. Right on. Well, um, let's talk Italians in general. So uh, all of these new national rules... Um, say that you have to line them up with a selector from the Western Desert. Now, mm -hmm. um, but they also make mention of um, the Italy, Armies of Italy and Axis Supplement um, in some parts. So I'm wondering if you could use these in some of those selectors. Um, I would need to read deeper into that. Yeah, I'm not sure. Not, like, I'm, I'm so excited to get the the physical book in my hand and and see how all of these kind of play together. But uh, that is that is one important factor. Is a lot of these these new rules are intended to be used within the context of a northern desert themed army. 
Uh, you know, I, I know some people kind of had this conception that they were going to completely replace the Italian rules, but uh, you know, if you're playing an Eastern Front Italian army, I think mm-hmm. I think the intent is you'll still be using the original rules versus these. Correct. Um, and I was thinking some of these would work. I think these national rules match Italian forces um, to some degree playing in Italy. Um, depending on which Italian forces, of course, you're talking about. So I, I like these ones. I, I yeah, yeah. Um, so again, I, I think that will take a little bit extra looking at. But um, I love that these exist. Um, I absolutely um, my that I keep looking at that paratrooper list and keep looking at my models and looking at the paratrooper list and looking at my models, going, "Oh my God, <laughs> yes." So um, I know what I love in this, um, and I think that if you want to run sort of a more generic Italian list and you're thinking, huh, this does, none of those sound like they really fit my army, um, I would highly recommend that you check out the AS-42. Um, yes, they're veteran, um, but they are sort of generic infantry models um, work for that. Now, if we sort of think about the game as a whole, though, most of those, in fact, all of those selectors we talked about, I believe, oh, maybe not the armored ones, um, rely on veteran troops. So if we think about those national rules with veteran troops, it just adds to the survivability and durability of those squads, given that everything has stubborn. Um, so, yeah, I again, I, I got to get boots on the table. I'm really excited to try these out. Um, and I, I yeah, I just want to play. Um, and see where we end up with this. Seamus, where are you at with these? You uh, you feeling the same way or something else? Yeah. Uh, one, it, it's kind of interesting that you're talking about how you're looking at uh, looking at your Fulgore, thinking uh, that would be a neat list. Um, I kind of take a slightly different approach to that. Uh, my, my force is designed to be a core of regular infantry with a squad of Paracadutisti and a mm-hmm. squad of Versailles and support. Um, you don't really have that option now. It's 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 either one or the other, um, which I guess is a little more true to the way that it was mm-hmm. uh, in, in that in that period. But uh, you know, to me now, I have to kind of do the math. It's like, well, do I get some more Paracadisti and mm-hmm. do a smaller force of just the Paras, or uh, you know, how do how do I approach that now? Yeah. I, I in general, though, I'm just so flipping excited about this book and and the options that italians have now yeah absolutely jason what do you think yeah yeah it's it's really it's packed full of a lot of flavor and uh it's part of me kind of wishes that it was an option just for all italian lists i feel like yeah there's some aspects of those the new national rules that would apply quite broadly to just the the sort of the psyche of the italian army um but I can understand the restrictions to the theater, and I think it fits well with the the other lists that they've the, the theater selectors that they've included in the book. So yeah, it's good. It it will be yes. interesting to see if um if they are sort of applied to the generic selectors that already exist within um the the base Italian rule set, the Armies of Italy book. Um, I da- I don't think they are, but if they did, um, likewise. If um, I know, for example, I used to try and run my Indian army um, and a lot of people in the local scene just were sort of fatigued with seeing all the British list ever with their free arty observer. And I whenever I contacted um, tournament organizers, they were usually quite happy for me to say, 
Oh, yeah, definitely. Please do not take the free Artie Observer. Take the Indian rules from um, du- uh, Duel in the Sun. Even though yeah. they technically had to apply to a selector, the fact that I wasn't running an abusive list and it was themed mm. around particular forces in the desert, um, they were very happy for me to run these alternate rules because um, they they match the army. I mean, it's not like I'm making up rules. They are written in the book. It matches yeah. a particular army. So um, the TOs were like, yeah, that's that totally is fine. So mm-hmm. if you want to run these rules and you're an Italian player in an event um, and you're not sure on whether or not you can run these rules with your particular army, I highly recommend that you take it up with your local tournament organizer. Awesome. So I guess uh, my my closing comments on the Italian rules is uh, there's there's so many more options now. I personally, uh, I know some of my fellow Italian players uh, were all really excited about the options now, um, but I, I do want to suggest for folks uh, whether they're playing Italians already or thinking about uh, two really cool things to check out is uh, that book that I referenced earlier, Iron Holes, Iron Hearts by Ian Walker. Um, it's a, it's a really good book, really informative. Um, and I highly recommend it. And then, uh, the other one is a movie that's, um, it's actually in Italian with subtitles, but it's called El Alamein La Linea del Fuoco. Um, and it's a really well done movie about, uh, that second battle of El Alamein. Um, and it's, it's not your typical Hollywood kind of movie. It's, uh, it's very poignant and powerful, but, uh, real cool for uniforms and the barrenness of the setting and things like that. So totally highly recommend. Yeah. And if you're looking for the more cliffs notes, but with great detail edition, um, like if you want to staple the fluff into a bolt action book, um, I highly recommend it's, um, the Osprey book. It's called the Italian army elite units and special forces from 1940 to 1943. Um, there's some great stuff about um, paratroopers in the desert and in general in that book. And yeah, it's really good stuff. Um, Jason, anything you wanted to add or are you happy to say good evening? I'm, I'm happy you guys have covered so much on this. Um, I'm just excited to see it on the table. There's going to be some really cool armies around. Totally, man. Amen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let me just say, as always, thank you for tuning in. Um, I know that podcasts don't necessarily cost money, uh, but it is time and time is often more precious than money these days. Um, and the fact that you've tuned in tonight and, uh, you've checked out the show. Um, we would just like to say thank you very much at cast dice. Um, if you would like to give us feedback, you can find us on Facebook by typing cast dice, C A S T D I C E into the search bar of Facebook. And you will find a page called the Lando misfit toys slash the home of the cast dice podcast. That is my page. That's my hobby page. If you'd like to see what I'm working on, uh, it might be Italian paratroopers. Um, you can find us there. And if you message, I will be the one that responds. My name is Brad. Um, and for everyone who has, of course, been sending messages and feedback about episodes or just the, the awesome uh, links that folks have been sharing with me that I can share with the community, as always, I love it, man. Thank you so much for sending me stuff. Um, you guys are great. Now... Ladies and gentlemen, that just leaves us with one last thing to say. When you are playing these games...
when you <laughs> oh, um, when you are playing the games that you, that we uh, know and love, I hope uh, that your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold, and I hope more than anything else that you are having fun. Seamus, one more time. <laughs> Avanti. Gone and that track.